We'll start in Philippians. We'll be several places in Philippians tonight. I just tonight want to start with an introduction to this book and um, bring out some things that I hope that'll help us in our first night here in this book. I've preached from the book of Philippians before, um, but what's exciting about the Bible is you can continue to read it, and every time you read it, um, God gives you something fresh, and it's not necessarily new that he hasn't given to anyone else, but um, just as you're studying the Word of God, he always gives you what you need and uh, love the Bible. It's a living book, and um, it's relevant uh, even today for us, and it's alive. One of my favorite epistles is the book of Philippians, and um, just to give us a little background, I want to I want to look at the background of Philippians because I think in understanding understanding the book of Philippians, what is happening, where Philippi is, um, where where we learn of Philippi in the book of Acts, and then Paul, as Paul is writing this epistle, uh, what's happening in Paul's life? In in understanding uh, all of those things. I think then we can better understand and see what God is doing through this book and how it can help us in our daily walk. Philippi was the first place in Europe where the gospel was preached by Paul and Silas. It, uh, if you remember, look with me in the book of Acts, if you would please, if you'll just head over there, um, keep your finger there in Philippians, obviously, but go over to Acts with me in chapter number 16. Acts chapter number 16, we'll, uh, several, several months, I guess, it's probably been now under the 10, I think it was, when I preached on uh, Acts chapter 16 when our, in our study through Acts. But we find in uh, Acts chapter 16, verse number 9, in a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately... We endeavored to go to, into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And so on there, then we read there of, of his uh, uh, journey then toward Macedonia. And Macedonia is, um, uh, as they go to Macedonia, and the first place where he preaches as he then approaches Macedonia is Philippi. And what Paul would do often in his missionary journeys is Paul would come to a place, he would go to the capital city of that place and begin to uh, preach the gospel. He'd go to the synagogues and begin to give the gospel and begin to just uh, uh, go to the the Jews and to the Gentiles that maybe were serving other gods or Jews that were steeped in religion and begin to share with them Christ. And he did the same thing here in Philippi as he is the, sees the call in Acts chapter 16 to go to Macedonia he comes and he preaches in Philippi. And how many of you remember when he comes to Philippi, who's the first person he begins to give the gospel to as he approaches Philippi? Anybody remember? Lydia. And so Paul brings the gospel. The, the gospel is brought to Europe for the first time as Paul is coming into Philippi. And the first person he then preaches the gospel to and gives a gospel to and is converted is, is Lydia there in Philippi. How, how many of you remember then what happens once he, then once he, uh, uh, Lydia is converted there, there's a, uh, another young lady that he comes in contact with there in Philippi and she's possessed by demons. 
And you remember, he cast out the demons out of that young girl, and the owners of that young girl get upset with him and, and have him jailed because she was making them money. She, she was just uh, uh, not even seen as human to these, to these men there. They're just using her to, to make money. When they saw that she no longer was possessed by that demon, they have Paul arrested, and he's imprisoned. Now, he's in Philippi, and people are being converted. He's giving the gospel, but he finds himself now in prison in Philippi. And because of the, uh, that going into prison, he then meets, we know of the, what, the Philippian jailer. And he's there with Paul and Silas are there. They've been beaten. We, we know that they're in bad shape because later on, the Philippian jailer dresses their wounds and cares for them. And so the Philippian jailer is, is in charge, at least, of those that now have jailed Paul. He's been beaten. He's sitting in this cell here in Philippi. And uh, at midnight, that, that earthquake comes, and that Philippian jailer is going to kill himself because he's in charge of these, these prisoners. And if these prisoners escape, his life is on the line. Remember, Paul says that Philippian jailer not to harm himself, and later on we find where that Philippian jailer says, sir, what must I do to be saved? He's saved, his entire house is saved, they're baptized, and, and we find there in that story in Philippi the, the, uh, another person that's converted there. And so that kind of gives us a thought of Philippi as Paul is there in Philippi. And we don't know this in this epistle to, to the uh, Philippians, but I wonder... I wonder if those same people are now in this church. And could you imagine the testimonies as, as they're sharing with new converts the testimony of the first time the gospel was brought to Europe and the first time that the gospel was brought to their city, the excitement that would happen, just as sometimes even within church, we share a testimony of when we got saved. Could you imagine uh, a Lydia or this young damsel girl that the, the uh, demon was, was uh, cast out of her, or even the Philippian jailer and all of his family saying, I remember the first time Paul came. And I received the gospel, and in their life being changed, that's the Philippian church here as we think about this, this epistle. This is who that epistle is written to. It's evident, though, that in this epistle we find that it was written from Paul, from Rome. I believe that Paul is in Rome in, in prison as he is writing this epistle. And the reason why we believe it, look with me in uh, uh, Philippians chapter number one, in verse number 13. So Paul is writing this and he's in bonds. So he, Paul is in prison. Now, I want you to stay with me because, again, the introduction, the background of this, of this epistle is, is so important to us understanding the purpose of this epistle and then what is in this epistle to the church at Philippi. And Paul writes this in this epistle, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. And that word palace, many would believe that's the place there uh, in Rome and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are more, much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so Paul mentions twice in this first chapter that he's in bonds. He, he also says this in, 
the end of Philippians chapter number four, look with me in verse number 22, he writes this as he's concluding this epistle to the church at Philippi, he writes this, and all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Well, Caesar's in Rome, and so there's two places here that um, uh, show us that he's in bonds and uh, that uh, those that are Caesar's household are are uh, saluting them or saying hello to them. And so Paul is in this place of prison. And it's important for us to see this where Paul is writing from because this entire epistle is, we could see something very different even in this epistle from other epistles that Paul is writing. And Paul is speaking much about joy here. This entire epistle that you would find they're speaking of joy, and, and there's something interesting about this, this uh, um, place of Philippi as well. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that place in just a minute. I'll show you in the scripture. But Philippi is a, is a wicked place. In the, in the city of Philippi, they were, not, they were not friendly to believers in Christ. You, you see in Acts what happened to Paul as Paul was giving the gospel. Paul just simply because he was giving the gospel and because he was preaching Christ, he was thrown into jail and not wanted here in this city. And so it says if you were to study this time in history in, in uh, Philippi, they were not friendly to Christians. There was great persecution at this time that was taking place in Philippi. There's obviously great persecution taking place in Paul's life. And so those in Philippi are finding themselves not in a city that's friendly, not in a city that is enjoying Christians there, but they're finding themselves in the Bible in Philippi, Philippians refers to it as a wicked nation. They're in a wicked place. Yet you don't find them using that as an excuse not to have joy. And Paul is in a very difficult place. Paul is in a place of prison in Rome, and you don't find that as being a reason why Paul doesn't have joy. And so in this epistle, we find both parties, the author and the receiver of this epistle, both could have excuses to be miserable Christians. How many of you ever met a miserable Christian? Three or four of you have? Well, hang around a little bit. You'll meet some someday. And I think the worst thing there can be is a miserable Christian because their focus is on the wrong thing. Their, their, their happiness is based upon how their life is, but their joy should be repl- uh, placed upon who Jesus Christ is. And this epistle shows us that no matter where you find yourself, no matter you find yourself in a Roman prison or you find yourself in a wicked nation not being accepted because of your uh, belief as a, as a believer in Christ, you can still have joy. I think of that in, in all of our situations. I taught this to the one o'clock uh, service here today. And I made mention to this, this time of year, this, this end of this, this uh, uh, season that our, our, our nation and our lives have been in, there's, there's many that are, that are really struggling. My wife and I were making a visit last week and we were with a family for a couple hours and and they were just saying just because of sickness and their age and being on oxygen, they just just can't get out of the house and just 
we left that appointment and we felt, felt bad for this person. They normally have lights up on their house and normally just go all out for, for Christmas. And they just said, this year, we're just not going to do it. And the reality is this, there's many of people that right now are going through very difficult emotions. I might have mentioned this Sunday, there was a, a young uh, elementary boy in uh, California that was online in his class with his teacher. And he took his life online. Just can't take the, the weight of things that are happening in his world and in his life. Michelle and I were with that, a family in our church this past Friday evening, and they have a, uh, a young, young girl that isn't, the school she goes to is not in in-person sessions, and they, uh, upper elementary daughter, and they just said to us, they said, we're seeing a difference in her emotions, and she's just not the same person. She's missing being around that social aspect of other people. We have a lot of people. We have people that are just, their lives are different. Their lives have changed because of the things that they've dealt with. I think of people like Sarah. I, um, Monica, your mom sent me a picture of you guys all outside of her window at Lake Monclova this weekend. And um, just having to see people you love through a window from outside. It's not the same as being able to go in and give someone a hug. I talked to a family in our church, family that they're an older family. They haven't, not, haven't been here back since we've been inside services. And she told me just how lonely she was. And she said this, she said, I just miss coming to church and hugging people. Things have diff- are different. And church is a, a, a vital part. And we're going to see this as we study through this epistle to the Philippian church we're going to see the importance of a church and the importance of joy. And I want to I look this evening as we're studying just, again, the backdrop of this epistle to introduce this study. I want to look at how we as Christians can be renewed. How, do we, how, how can be, we be renewed? Because all of us are dealing with life. Now, it might not be you as a wife that is taking a visit, driving to the hospital to visit your husband, but someone that we love is. It might not be our children that are having to look through a phone to see their dad and the other side, he may be on a ventilator, but, but someone that we love is. And, and, and just because we as a, as a family might not be going through things, there are people within our church that are going through things. I, I think often as after my conversation with Jim, Jim Cress, I think often, what would that be like? What, it, what would it be like to, to not be able to have that conversation with my wife after 30 or 40 years of marriage? to plan a life together and where where can you be renewed where where can mary davison be renewed where could a sarah be renewed how how can we go through these things and be renewed how how can paul sit in a prison cell and be renewed 
I wonder this evening, I won't ask you to raise your hand because you won't anyways, I've learned. Um, how many of you have ever, ever been in a place where you just need to be refreshed? And I'm not talking about a vacation. You know, sometimes I need a vacation. Then we come back from vacation. How many of you need a vacation after you went on vacation? Um, especially with kids, you, you're just running and you're not refreshed. I'm talking about spiritually being renewed. I'm talking about living in a, in a prison, but having the joy of the Lord. I'm talking about being a church where persecution is there and that, that, that uh, uh, you're not loved and accepted and there isn't any liberties and rights in your society and you're living in a, in a wicked world and you're, grow, you're raising children in a wicked nation, the Bible says, but you still have joy. Now, how many of you want that? I know I do. Because we can get weary. And how did, how did the Philippian church, how did Paul, in this introductory message to this book, how did Paul find renewal in his spirit? And how did the Philippian church, how were they renewed? I want you to see, first of all, look with me, if you would, in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. And um, verse number 25, Paul is writing, and he, and he mentions this man by the name, and you'll see it twice here in this book. You're going to see the name um, Epaphroditus. <clears throat> you see his name first in verse number 25. And he says this, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldiers, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. And then we'll, we'll come back in the next couple of verses, but what we find is this, this man, Epaphroditus, is the one that then delivers this message, this epistle, back to the church. So he, Paul writes, and he's with Timothy, the Bible tells us, in the beginning of Philippians. As he writes this epistle, how does this epistle get from uh, Rome, a Roman prison, to the church here in, in Philippi. It wasn't through mail. It wasn't an email. It wasn't through, you know, electronically. It wasn't through the, the uh, 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 mail system. It was hand-delivered from a man that is from Philippi. He is delivering this message to the, to the Philippian church. And Paul is renewed. He's refreshed because of who this man is. Because this man, uh, Epaphroditus, is willing to be the deliverer of this, of this message. I want you to see something else about this man, Epaphroditus, who he is as well. Look with me in verse number four, uh, chapter number four, I'm sorry, verse number 18. But I have all. Look how Paul, the words that he uses, but I have all in abound. Now, Paul is in prison. He's in a Roman prison. And Paul's response to them is not, I'm miserable and it, this is a horrible place and I hope you never find yourself in prison and this just isn't fair and, and I can't believe I'm here. No, Paul's response to the church is this, but I have all. And not just have all, I abound. 
And, and then he goes on to use these words, and I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from who? From you, from the church at Philippi. In odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And it's believed then that Epaphroditus, he, what was he doing in Rome? Well, the Philippian church knows that Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. Now, in those days, if you're in prison, the government didn't take care of you. You didn't have all of your needs met there in prison. If you were going to eat or eat anything that was worth eating, someone would have to bring it to you. If you needed any hygiene products or you had any need at all, there was not a system where the government just made all of your, uh, uh, met all your needs and paid your medical bills and, and cared for you while you were incarcerated. If you were incarcerated, it was a miserable, 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 helpless place to be if no one would come and care for you. The Philippian church knew that Paul was there in prison in Rome. And so from, from that place, this man called Epaphroditus says, I'll go. He brings all of the things that the church in Philippi wants Paul to have to care for Paul's needs as he's in Rome. While he's in Rome, he, on his way back to Philippi, he's going to be the one that delivers this letter so that Paul can communicate and share his love and his appreciation in this kind letter that he writes to the church at Philippi to minister their needs. There's a, there's a man that is willing, and there's a church that is willing to meet the need of Paul, and then there's a man that is willing to take an epistle that Paul is going to write to meet the needs of the church and bring it back to Philippi. And I want you to write this down. Something I see here, one way that we as believers are renewed, we're renewed by fellow believers in their care for others. We're renewed by fellow believers. You know one of the greatest things about a church ought to be? There's fellow believers there that help you and encourage you in difficult times. Brother Miller, you mentioned something, I think, last week or two weeks ago when we were praying for Doug Davison. He said something in his prayer that I, I've not forgotten. He said this, Lord, I've never met Doug Davison, but I hear his name constantly in church, and so I'm praying for Doug and Mary. And, and that's encouraging to a fellow believer to know that there's a church that's praying for them. I talked to Sarah um, Hammaker not long ago, just a couple weeks back, and people were giving her meals and setting things at her doorstep and, and ministering to her. She was quarantining because obviously the exposure, Justin had COVID, so um, uh, the exposure there to her and her family. So she was quarantining herself and her two children because of Justin's exposure. So she couldn't get out and she couldn't, she couldn't uh, 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 care for her children because she didn't want to leave her home because she had COVID. And so what happened? Her church family came alongside of her and encouraged her. Again, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder if you've ever been renewed or refreshed by a fellow believer. I know I have been. 
this Epaphroditus, I, I, I see here in this passage of Scripture, it is it's encouraging when someone in the church seeks to be a blessing to you. There's people in, in Artie, Artie's not here tonight, she was at the one o'clock service, but when I think of people that seek to be a blessing, I always think of someone like an Artie Molyneux. Now, I, di- I didn't get to experience the Artie Molyneux pre her fall, and she broke her, her, was her femur, is that right, Amy? Her femur, and she was, she, it really affected her since that time. She still struggles with some, th- some, some things at times. But um, I came in September, and the very weekend that I came, I moved here, she was uh, uh, down at the church's storage unit, and they had a huge ladies' conference here. I think that's what it was, wasn't it, Amy? She had a, they had a large ladies' conference here, and she was down at the storage unit getting decor, and it was rainy that night, and it was just a miserable, cold, wet evening, and Artie was walking out of that storage unit and somehow hit her head the, on, the, on the door, the garage door that was low, fell, broke her leg, and laid there on the gravel in that parking lot at night in the cold in the dark. And she had broken her femur and she couldn't move. Her nails were all, all broken because she was trying to crawl her way to her car to get to her cell phone. She didn't have her car, cell phone on her. It was miserable. It was miserable. And really since that time, five, over five years ago now, she's not been able to minister like the way. And I hear all these stories of, of already pre her fall, not sinful fall, but pre her fall in the parking lot. But even after she couldn't get around like she used to, she's always calling. Pastor, I just want to make sure you knew about this person. I just want to make sure this person's need was met. And pastor just wanted to make, and she still does that today. Always calling. Matter of fact, Sunday, she uh, called Michelle and she said, I just want to let you know that so-and-so left church. They were sick. I just want you to know so you can check on them. That's just her. I want to minister to someone. So I pick up the phone and I call the person that left church sick on, on uh, Sunday morning. And I said, hey, I just want you to know that Artie was looking out for you. And she let me know that you weren't feeling well. I'm just calling to check on you. And when I just mentioned that to her, that someone noticed that you weren't feeling well, she was encouraged that someone cared. Church, I want to help us understand one great way to find joy, one way to be renewed, is by fellow believers. And one of the greatest joys of being in a church, you see, church is not just I show up on Sunday morning and I leave and I go about my work, my week. Church is a place where we minister to each other. Church is a place where we want to encourage each other. Church is a place where we do find out what, where people are hurting and what people's needs are, not so that we can gossip and judge people, but so that we can run to people in their greatest need and allow them to be renewed in their spirit so they can serve Christ. 
I find here in this introductory to this book of Philippians, I see this renewal that takes place because there's a man called um, Epaphroditus that is willing to leave and deliver, a church that is willing to give, and a man that's willing to deliver to a prison in Rome, and Paul who then is willing to write, and this man willing to deliver this epistle so that the people back at this church would be encouraged. How many of you have ever been encouraged by an epistle that Paul wrote in the New Testament? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand on that if you've been encouraged. If you've been encouraged by the Bible, raise your hand, please. Great, thank you. If you haven't been encouraged by the Bible, just raise your hand and fake it tonight. (laughs) Yeah, all the epistles. Could you imagine life without the epistle to the Philippians? Where would we learn about this? This man... Epaphroditus, that was willing to be a blessing to his church and to Paul to encourage them with this epistle. This epistle is encouraging the New Testament church 2,000 years later. You see, fellow believers renew us. I want you to see something else here, something interesting. Go to chapter number one of this book as well. And I want you to see in verse number 13 again. So my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And look with me in verse number 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, look what Paul says, waxing confident by my bonds. They're becoming confident in my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen to what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this, there are believers that because of the situation I'm in, I'm in bonds, I'm in a trial, I'm in this situation, and because I'm here, other people are being encouraged to do what? To be more confident in their willingness to share the gospel. Because remember, there's great persecution going on. Paul is in prison because of persecution. Paul was in the Philippian jail because of persecution. The Philippians uh, are experiencing persecution. And at this time in the world, there's great persecution taking place for those that are preaching the gospel. And so what would, what would the common thing be uh, to, to people? Hey, listen, if you preach the gospel boldly, you're going to wind up like Paul. And it would be human nature to say this, well, I don't want to end up in prison and I don't want to end up with losing my life. And so I'm going to be silent. I'm not going to give the gospel because of the persecution that comes. But you don't find Paul in this book at all saying, woe is me, or or, don't end up like I've ended up. You find Paul writing back to the church at Philippi with great joy, and what's fi- what they find is this. Because of Paul's persecution and where Paul is in bonds, instead of it discouraging people to preach the gospel, instead of it discouraging people to live for Christ, it's it's renewing them, it's causing them confidence, and, and the Bible says this, that they're going to give it without fear now. They're not afraid to stand for the gospel's sake. Why? Because Paul, being where he is, has encouraged them. It's given them hope. It's worth it. I want you to write this down. Number one, we're renewed by fellow believers. Number two is this. We are renewed by the, by the bonds or the circumstance that we find others in as well. The, the apostle Paul's imprisonment in Rome, it had a great effect on the New Testament church. It's believed this based upon that verse. It's believed that many of the brethren had become increasingly bold in his bonds. 
And what did they do? It then encouraged them to preach the gospel without fear. So Paul's willingness to stand for the gospel strengthened others and renewed others with their commitment to uh, uh, preach the gospel. I'll tell you, that is really hit home this week, the last two weeks, really. And the Lord encouraged me as I was studying through this. I, I really enjoyed just studying the background of Philippians over this last week because it was such a, a help and encouragement to me. My, my uh, wife said to me just the other day, she said, why do you find yourself in situations like you, we find yourself in? And the truth of the matter is, it's what God has. I, I believe this. That there are going to have to be times in our lifetime that people will stand for truth. And, and I'll tell you, I believe that it's coming, and I've preached on this perilous times are, are coming, and we see them. I believe this is the time that we as Christians have to stand and be light even greater. There was a church in Cleveland back in the 60s and 70s, I believe it was, and I may have mentioned this already on a Sunday, but but they stood, and there was a, a movement to, for churches to start Christian schools. And in this church in Cleveland, it stood and faced um, uh, uh, opposition from the government allowing for churches to have Christian schools. And pastors were threatened with jail. One of, the, one of the cases, one of the court cases in Nebraska in those early days of the Christian school movement is they were trying to shut schools down. Well, what happened was they couldn't shut them down. It was They were allowed to have Christian schools, and there was a Supreme Court case that allowed that, and so states couldn't stop it. So what did they do? They sent their health boards in, and the health departments began to close them down by finding violations. And there was a pastor in in Nebraska, that because his drinking fountain wasn't placed high enough inside of his building, um, they told him he couldn't have school, couldn't have his Christian school. They were doing everything they could to stop the school from existing, trying to find violations. The pastor said, well, I'm not going to close the school down. And the pastor was, was threatened with jail because his drinking fountain wasn't high enough and they were going to jail him and close the school down because of that. And we look at that and we say, come on, how could that happen? This is real. And there's a great fight that took place. And these men encouraged other men that were willing to fight for the gospel, willing to fight for the, their opportunity, and, and were willing to stand so that we could have uh, churches and schools that could preach and teach the gospel and teach young people in a biblical worldview. Those fights took place. And I'll be honest with you, this last couple of weeks, my phone has just, I mean, it's been unreal. We tried to get away a couple of days this past week, and my wife and I, we were together Monday and part of Tuesday, and literally the entire time we were together, my phone was ringing. Or an email coming across, and there was a, a man here in Ohio, he's a school psychologist, psychi psychologist. He's a Christian, and he 
contacted me. He said, I know you, he said, uh, I, you don't know who I am. He said, but I'm, I'm, a, a, or I'm a school psychologist in a public school in, here in Ohio. But he said, I'm a born again Christian. And he just said this, he said this to me, he said, I saw your video, I saw what your school is standing for, and he says, I just want to reach out to you, and he said, I just want to encourage you, he said that I am, I am encouraged, I am refreshed by your willingness to stand, I just want you to know, I believe in what you're standing in, and you are encouraging me to stand. I got a phone call from a school board member. Totally different place, different school, school board, guy on a school board here in the state of Ohio that saw our suit and, and, and saw the video that I posted and he contacted me and he just said to me this, he said, I just want you to know I'm on a school board in a school district here in Ohio. And he said, I want you to know I'm, I'm a Christian. And he says, I want you to know that I appreciate, I'm encouraged by your stand. He said, you encourage us. I got a, I got a uh, phone call from a group of teachers in the Sylvania school district, in the public school system. This isn't Christian schools. None of these are Christian schools. These are people that are involved in the school system, but not Christian school system, and saying, you're encouraging us. Please continue to stand. I got a phone call from a group of Sylvania school teachers this past week and asked if I'd come speak to them, and, and they said this, we're encouraged by your stand. Don't let people think that public school teachers are against Christian schools. They said, we are Christians and the Lord just allowed us to teach in the, in the public school system, but we support what you're doing. And I want you to know you have encouraged us. I just want you to know, please continue to take a stand. Today, I had six phone calls from pastors. I had a phone call this evening from a pastor in Pennsylvania that said to me, he says, you know, I was discouraged and literally I was discouraged in pastoring. And I just said to my wife just recently, is it worth the fight? And he said, somebody sent me your, your, your post. And, and he said, I just want you to know you encouraged me. If you're willing to stand in Ohio, then I told the Lord tonight, I'm going to stand in Pennsylvania. A pastor of a school in Michigan called me, and they're closing things down in Michigan, and he called, and he said, you know, I just want you to know you encouraged me to take a stand. Six different men just today, that's just today that I've talked to on the phone from four different states, all encouraged, called and said, I just want you to know your church's stand has encouraged us. It has strengthened us. We're going to take a stand. Now, listen to me. We're not starting a revolution. What, what, what we're doing is encouraging the brethren to stand for the gospel's sake, to stand for the liberties that we can have so that we can teach the gospel, so that the, the, no one can come in and, and tell us what we can teach and can't teach. And, and sometimes, uh, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes it gets discouraging. And I'm sure for Paul, it had to be discouraging as well. Paul is in bonds and he's in prison, but Paul is encouraged. And because Paul is encouraged and because Paul is willing to be in bonds and, and, and still find joy and not be discouraged and complaining and being critical about what God's doing, 
doing, but Paul is, is willing to, to find joy even in his bonds. What it's doing is encouraging the fellow brothers. And, and listen to me, sometimes, sometimes the circumstances that we find ourselves in because of our stand for the gospel may not look pleasant for you. And I can tell you this, the things that we have dealt with, I, I, told, I told Mike Farley, I said, Mike, he administrates our school, Mike, I want you to concentrate on the teachers and the parents and the students. You know why I told him that? Because I don't want him to get discouraged. Because it can get discouraging. It can get difficult. There were some rumors that were going around last evening, and, and um, we had to deal with those things. And, and boy, it's discouraging. And sometimes it's so easy to just to quit. And, and, and listen to me, if you're sitting here in this room and you've said sometime through a difficult season, it'd be easier just not to go through this. You're not alone. And, and, and you're not some kind of horrible person because at times maybe your faith has wavered or sometimes you've just gotten weary. You're human. But I want to encourage you with this. Even those times of weariness, even in those times that it looks not pleasant for you, it may be exactly what someone else needed in order for them to be strengthened in their commitment to Christ. And that's what we see in verse number 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There are people that Paul was saying, they are now willing to stand up for the gospel's sake without fear because of the situation Paul finds himself in. And oh, listen to me, just because you're in an unpleasant situation, it doesn't mean that God's not going to use that. It might not change your unpleasant situation, but your encouragement in that will encourage others to stand for Christ. And that's why we as Christians have to have joy. We can't fall apart when trials come. We can't get critical and we can't start complaining and we can't start accusing God. We've got to stay right with the Lord, our eyes upon him uh, with the gospel as our main focus. And we can get through those trials. And as we're living in those trials, other people will be encouraged to stand. I've said this to the Lord over the last couple of days. You know, Lord, if we have to be in a trial, and if nothing else out of this trial, you use this to encourage your people, then I willingly will go through this trial. Do we want to? No. How many of you love trials? You don't have to raise your hand here. Huh. This time you shouldn't raise your hand. Nobody, nobody wakes up and says, Lord, bring it on today. I mean, give me the worst day you could give me. Just, just lay it all. I can't wait for you to just make life miserable on me today. No one of us, none of us want that. But what I'm saying is, as Paul is going through this, because of how he's living, he says, you know what, I am here, and, and if, if me being here will encourage you in your walk with the Lord, and in your witness for the gospel, and give you boldness, and take away that fear so that you would, you would do what God's called you to do, then me being here is worth it. Wouldn't it be something if all of us looked at our trials that way? My trial's worth it if somebody else is encouraged by it. Oh, Molly, my time is done. Where did time go? Let Write this down, number three, and I'm done. 
we're renewed by the kindness shown by others, by other believers. We also can be renewed by kindness that's shown. Look with me in chapter 2. Again, I'm going to just rush through this, but um, I want you to get this. Chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things. What's he say? Do all things without murmuring and complaining or disputings. Murmuring, disputings, they don't belong in the Christian conversation. Why? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, and this is the verse I want you to see, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. That's what they're living in, a crooked and perverse, what, why? Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's the difference a Christian makes. Look with me in chapter 4, verse number 15. Look what Paul says. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, look what he says, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. There was no one else that was willing to give, but ye, ye only. The kindness that you show me when I left Macedonia and all the churches that I ministered to, we had needs and no one else was willing to step up and, and show kindness and meet these needs except you did. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. He says, even when I was in another city, you heard of a need and you still gave. Your kindness is refreshing to me. Look what he says in verse number 18, but I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you in odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Listen to me, kindness shown to others is well-pleasing to God, and that's the way the church ought to be. In, in, in many of Paul's epistles, he uses words or tones of reproof. If you were to study Galatians, he says, oh, you Galatians, uh, uh, how, 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 how soon could you, uh, you know, leave, I'm paraphrasing, but leave what, what you knew, and now you're living differently. I, I ought to pluck my eyes out for you, he says. And in, in the, uh, the book of Corinthians, he's not telling them, oh, great job. He's saying, you're living in sin. How could you do this? And in, in several of his epistles, many of his epistles, to the churches, as he's writing, he's writing with this tone of, why are you that way? Not so with the Philippians. This epistle is so tender, it abounds so much with, with expressions of kindness. Paul is saying, you've been so kind, you have encouraged me, you have refreshed me, even when I'm not there, when I've been in Thessalonica, you gave so that I could be refreshed. When I was in Rome, you sent someone and you met my needs so that I could abound, and, and, and this is the kindness shown by others. Christians, in order to be renewed, we need to be kind to each other. I wonder how many of you have ever been encouraged by someone. Listen, Christianity should not be just receiving. It should be an act of constantly giving. I thought of this, and I close with the, this. I thought of this this year. This year, we could look at this year and say, how, oh, how miserable it's been. I've got a stack on my desk of cards about that thick of people that you helped for Thanksgiving. One of them was a grandmother, and she said this. She said, your church encouraged me 
because you gave to my daughter and her children for Thanksgiving. This church gave $12,000 so that we could buy Thanksgiving meals and food for people in need for Thanksgiving. This church raised about forty-five, probably even $50,000 during COVID, and we fed 30 families every single week for four months, four and a half months. Every single week, we brought groceries to their house because you were willing to be kind. We went to restaurants and, and people that were laid off, waitresses and waiters that were laid off when they closed down. We just simply said to the, to, the, to the managers, could you give us their names? We just want to write them a little bit of a money and a check and give it to them. And, and many, many people were helped because of your generosity, your kindness. You refreshed them. You encouraged them. We had a family call me today. And they said this, the Lord was good to us this year. We had some investments, and believe it or not, we made money this year. I said, wow, that's good. They said, we're thinking about giving to the Christmas offering, and we know we're trying to do all the lights. I said, well, we weren't going to do all of the lights with the Christmas offering because um, it costs so much. To, to do everything that we're supposed to do, it's like $64,000. I mean, it's, it's big. It's not just light switches that go on and off. There's a lot to it. And so what I said is we just broke it up in three phases. And so we're just going to do one phase. Matter of fact, the deacons uh, last month, two months ago, voted to do to, to, to a portion of it and, and um, uh, just out of, out of our, our savings. And, and so we're going to raise a portion of it. And then we'll have one third of it left and we'll just, Lord will supply. And they said, well, what's the cost of it? And I said, about $64,000. And they said, well, would it be okay if I put a check in church on Sunday for 60000 to pay for all of it? And they said, well, we have to have lights on so people could hear the gospel. And we have to have lights on so that the cameras can pick up the message and it can go on WLMB and people can hear it because there's a lot of people that aren't getting out that can only hear the church through WLMB and through the internet, and we have to have lights on in order to do that. I even tell you that, Brian, yet. That ought to make you smile. This was saying, we just want to be kind. I just want to give. And I'll tell you, when they called today, after all the stuff I've dealt with over the last couple of weeks, and so many pressures dealing with, I just hung up my phone and I said, Thank you, Lord. The kindness of someone encouraged this pastor today. And the kindness of someone ought to encourage you that somebody's willing to give so that somebody else could receive the gospel or hear the gospel or see the gospel presented. God meets a need. You see, we can look at the problems all around us, the wicked world we're living in or the bonds we're in, or we can say, Lord, I'm going to look to you for joy. Believers encourage us. Being in our bonds or our circumstances can encourage others in the kindness. And I just want to say tonight, I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a church that reminds me of the Philippian church. A church where people are willing to give. A church where people are willing to sacrifice. 
a church where I'm will, people are willing to write letters and encourage people and make phone calls and just, just be kind. Mike Farley told me a group of people showed up. His brother has special needs. How old is your brother? He's 62, but he can't care for himself. And so his mother, he didn't say this in a prayer request, but his mother breaking her leg means that his 62-year-old special needs brother doesn't have a caretaker. Well, he's staying with Mike. And he can make coffee, maybe heat up something in the microwave, but that's the extent of caring for his needs. You know, he wouldn't eat. A group of people from our church, students, kids from our church, showed up at his house with gifts and what'd they do? Cards. Saying just to encourage, just to be kind. I think all of us ought to leave tonight thanking God that we're a part of a church like the Philippian church where people just simply say, I want to encourage someone. I want to give. I want to meet a need. It doesn't matter if they're here. They could be in Thessalonica. They could be in Rome. It doesn't matter. I just want to bless God's people so they can be renewed and encouraged to continue. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this book and the encouragement from it. Lord, you refreshed me and renewed me in my spirit. And then just the blessings, Lord, of being a part of this place. The testimonies of people that, the cards that they get, the love that is shown, the kindness, Lord, that people give. Thank you, Lord, for this place. Thank you for the example of joy that we find as we will begin to study this book. So, Lord, send us out here tonight encouraged. Some may be in bonds. Some may be living in a wicked world. But because of Jesus Christ and the gospel, we can have joy even in this. So may we be encouraged. Not leaving here with a spirit of murmuring and complaining, but a spirit of joy, praising God, being a light in a dark place. Lord, I love this church and these people, and I pray that you'd bless them tonight in a special way and meet their needs, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Sorry for the late evening. May the